Welcome back to Talus Theology, where we are talking about the topic of gender roles. And today we are focusing on specifically submission. That's right. Today I'm joined by Joey and Amanda. Hey guys. And uh, so yeah, this this is a this is a really this is a really scary word, I think. And it's, that's why we wanted to devote a whole day to talk about it. We want to look at Ephesians in five and, and, and examine what's going on there. It with with wives being called to submit to their husbands and 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 we want to examine maybe this idea of mutual submission that is talked about but i think this is worth examining and kind of giving its own episode because i would you know i think i would think submission man when i think submission i think like dang that's like a bad word that's like yeah. a dirty word people people don't like that word i don't like that word like i hear that and it, you know it's it's bad y'all what what let's talk about submission yeah submission um I agree with you. I think it's a word today that a lot of times met with a a lot of negativity. And I think there are very valid reasons as to why that is. I think historically, this has been misconstrued. Um, Even this idea of even like headship. So you have headship and then submission, and it just sounds subordinate. It sounds like women are less than, less value. And I think a lot of times that comes from the experience of maybe people not knowing how to apply these words or what they actually genuinely mean and not living out to what God's design for men and women relationships to be. And so there has been abuse and I'm, I'm just going to call it, there has been abuse. I've witnessed it um, Mm -hmm. before just growing up with this. I've, I've seen it in the church. There have been times where I have literally seen it in the church where a husband will pull that kind of like, I'm the authority, you do what I say card. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> like, that's yeah. not, that's not, that's not righteousness, you know? So I think it is a kind of a dirty word because it has been misunderstood and there has been a lot of um, hurt and wrongdoing associated with with this word and i think it all comes from a lack of understanding and just a lack of teaching of what spiritual headship is and what spiritual submission is right yeah it it took me a while to realize that i'm always submitting to something which i don't like (laughs) but it's so beautiful when we start to look at jesus the ways he submitted because it's nothing like the world and nothing like my nature how i would normally be willing to submit because i'm guarded and defensive don't like it so yeah, dirty word is how I've lived it most of my life. Yeah, yeah and, and I, I think there definitely is an attitude of, of you know, at least in our society of, of being independent and an in, in, in individual and kind yeah. of protecting yourself as an individual, I think is, is a highly valued thing. And so no, yeah, nobody likes the idea, I think, the general, nobody, when they hear the word submission, I don't think anybody today really likes that general idea. But, but I think there are some ways we can be a little bit inconsistent about that because I, I think the reality is we're constantly submitting ourselves to things. Yes. And so, so I think for me, it's kind yeah. of helpful to kind of zoom out and view the topic of submission in perspective. Um, yeah. Like m- many of us submit to, submit to a boss, right? We submit to a job. We submit... Um, we submit to teachers, right? We, we obey instruction. We follow rules. Like there's, the, you know, there's many institutions and places where, where we are submissive, but we just don't think that that's what we're doing. We're not looking at yeah. it that way. And so I think it's helpful to zoom out and, and view it, view it even in that sense. But, but also I think to, you know, it's good to acknowledge, like, like you all said, there's wrong ways to enforce submission. And there's ways that it can be and have been abused. And, and so when I think when people come to scriptures like like what we're going to be reading today and several others like it in the Bible, it really is easy to be mm. like, there's no way it can mean that because yep. that's just a horrible idea. What else can this mean? I mean, yeah. it, right. Or like, how can we talk about this as little as possible? <laughs> you know you know what I mean? Uh, Amanda, you know, we were talking earlier how it can be a topic in church that that. It's just kind of not talked about, right? It's a scripture you want to avoid it's right because it kind of elicits this negative reaction. And so, I, man, I think it's really helpful to zoom out and try to realize, okay, there are ways we submit ourselves to things. Um, that, that, like we submit ourselves, I could go on. There's, there's plenty of other examples. We submit ourselves in like familial relationships, right? Like there's a lot of ways we submit yeah. ourselves to, to things. And so I think it's helpful to zoom out 
and then look at, okay, what really is submission biblically? Yeah. Because, you know, I believe at the end of the day, I believe in, you know, John 10, 10, right? That Jesus came to give us a life and a life to the full and that God's yeah. commands and the word of God is meant to lead us to a fuller life. And so I don't think our- Yeah, more what, freedom. More, right. And so when we go and look at the Bible, I get the temptation to be like, how can we make it not mean that when we look at a topic like submission? Um, but I, I want to, rather I'd want to approach it with how can this actually lead me to a fuller life? I think that's really good points, Daniel. Like a lot, I think even bringing up like this idea of zooming out and just even our culture, like what we're growing up in today in America and what Americans value, like that individualism, that independence. Um, and so I do think for us, this idea of like, how do men and women submit? Like how do men and women like this idea of headship and submission, how does that even work in our 21st century yeah. society? Right. Um, but just because we live in a culture that super values individualism and independence, which those things are not super bad or anything like that, but that doesn't mean we, we have, we should like push aside God's, God's design for how, the church and relationships and stuff are supposed to function, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. Our goal our goal should be to discover God's design, not not yes. not insert our design into God's word, but discover God's yeah. design so we can embrace that life to the full. Um yeah. and may, maybe here's where some some personal testimonies could be helpful. My background is is being an atheist. And so that's how that's how I lived, you know, you know, most of my life until I was converted as a Christian. And the really interesting thing is, you know, as an atheist, I didn't really, you know, I could pretty much do what I wanted. I didn't really have a moral code um, nailing me down. You know, I did, I did what I, you know, I did what I felt was right. And I, I, in that sort of lifestyle, you might imagine that there's a lot of freedom. But the reality is, even in that lifestyle, you're, you're submitting yourself to, to ideas, and you're submitting yourself to um, substances, and you're submitting yourselves yourself to um, certain things. So I think even in that there's submission, but the, but the really interesting thing is my experience when I became a Christian is obviously now that I'm under the framework of the Bible, um, there's more things that I quote unquote cannot do or should not do, or have been commanded not to do. Um, And I think first looking at Christianity as (laughs) I think looking at Christianity fundamentally as as a thing that makes me not be able to do things is very unhealthy. <laughs> that's not, yeah. that's not how we should look at Christianity. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I really think it's a very liberating freeing thing. And, and to that point, yeah, I found Perfect that law I, liberty. Yeah, that's yeah, absolutely. I found as I lived as a Christian, even though technically under the Bible, my life was technically more constrained. I ended up finding myself living a much more freeing life. And it's almost like it's almost like yes. a paradox in that, right? And Jesus even mentions this, right? He says, "Look, whoever wants to save their life is going to lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will will save it." And I definitely experienced that. That though I gave up so many other things and now submit myself to the Bible and to Jesus and to God, I have found myself living a much freer life, a much more self realized life, a life where I feel like I've discovered who who I've really been made to be, and that I'm living out and just. So I constantly go back to John 10, 10, um, because I feel like I've lived that experientially. And I know that might be kind of hard for, for some people that maybe have a long church background to, to grasp or maybe grew up in the church their whole life. But man, the reality is when I found the church, even though there's now things I couldn't do, my life was much more free than it ever had been when I could technically do whatever I wanted. Well, I, that's interesting, Daniel. I, I, yeah, I think this idea of submission is just such a big topic. It isn't just constrained to gender roles, like you're saying. Um, but for me, I did grow up in a very religious family. And I shared a little bit of my testimony um, and the like, why we think this matters and is important. And I felt like it was, I experienced a lot of the bad submission, like, I have a huge family. I have 40 first cousins just on my dad's side of the family. Ooh. We are like straight up like Beverly Hills, oh. like Pharrell. So <laughs> I love my family. They are amazing and big and loud and so much fun. Um, great people, but 
not the greatest examples of Christianity. And there's a lot of that very extreme traditionalism. So when people try to talk about traditionalism, I'm like, I don't think you really. (laughs) Yeah. uh, That that doesn't sound super traditional to me, you know, because I grew up in a very traditional, like household codes, like the roles of women, the roles of men were very Mm. distinct and very clear and they didn't really cross over. Um, and there was a lot of toss, toxic masculinity in that, like not helping babe, like change diapers, never cooking. I like saw my dad clean one time and I was in high school and I literally got concerned like something was wrong. Like I came downstairs and my dad was vacuuming and I was like, what's wrong? Where's mom? Like <laughs> it was very like I get called downstairs to get my dad a soda. I'm like, dad, you're like three feet away from the kitchen. And like, so just these things where like men didn't really help out around the house or with the kids, they they worked and they worked very hard and they provided for their homes, but they, there was, that was about it. And everything else a woman did and they were in charge and they did what they said. So I had a very, very negative view of submission. And I shared that coming into the kingdom, like being egalitarian, pretty much, right? Like, I think there's Mm. no differences. Women can do whatever they want. Men can do whatever they want. Like, we're going to just live however we want to live. Like, and I think it was really being married where that started to become rough. Like, right. I started having a lot of tension in my marriage and I don't say that to be like my husband's toxic or anything because he's really not. I have like the cream of the crop husband. Like he changes diapers, he loves my <laughs> kids, he helps out in the house, he does dishes, he gives me free time. He's like, you need to get some girl time, go. Like great. go on that girl's trip. I'll take the kids. Like my husband is like so opposite of anything yeah. that I grew up experiencing. But there was makes still your submission a joy, not a burden, right? Yes. Oh my gosh. I love him. He, I pray that all women get to marry a man like my husband. He's amazing. Um, but there was still a lot of hardship and friction and it was because of me and my heart and my attitude and almost like this competition. And it was when I started having kids that it got really bad because I felt like I wasn't able to do I shared that, that divided heart. I wasn't able to work at the same pace and do the things that I was doing in the ministry because I had this, this little girl, but I also was like, heck no, nobody's watching my little girl. This is my little girl. I don't want to miss any moment. I want to be with her all the time. I want to. And so I just, and that caused a lot of friction because I felt like it was easier for my husband. Like he didn't feel that same call to have to be with Daisy all the time right? Like I did. He didn't feel that call to have to like drop everything to like take care of her. Like there was just a different spirit. And that's when a lot of our, our fights and our hardships kind of started. Um, but that's when I also started studying out submission and what does that mean? And I'm not a very submissive person. I really thought I'd be able to find the scriptures and make them match what I wanted them to match. And it wasn't matching up. And so it was really hard. It was a long study because a lot of it was me trying to force something there and not being able to make it work and then having to surrender and submit to God, right? And God's design. But when I was able to like really submit and live it out, actually do it, all that tension like went away. I felt so much more free. I feel so encouraged in my job, right? Like I am a women's ministry leader full time for the church here in Bellingham. And I love what I get to do. But I also have four kids and I homeschool them and I'm with them and I get to be that mom and I don't feel my heart is super divided. And I have a husband who's Mm. who is very supportive and works really hard so that I can work a job. But I also feel no guilt for being like, this amount of time a day, I am with my kids and everybody else can wait. Right. But he makes it doable for me to be able to do that. And I don't feel divided anymore. I feel there is that freedom that came from submitting to God and trusting God with what yeah. wow. to, to really lean into being um, a spiritual woman, like, like embracing biblical womanhood. And 
I have never looked back, guys. Like, never looked back. I'm so grateful that I did submit to God in that. And it, it really changed my marriage. It changed my life. I'm a better mom. I'm a better women's ministry leader. Like, it really did make a huge difference in my my spirituality and in just the joy of living, for real. Yeah, I mean, that, great testimony. That's, a, that's an amazing testimony. And, and I think, you know, it gets to this really important point that – at the end of the day, submission, I think when, when, when operating in God's design is, is a very life giving and freeing yes. thing rather yes. than a constraining and life sucking thing. Um, right. And, and yeah. not in like the, the character, the character, caricature sense of, you know, I think every other movie has this villain where it's like, you know, uh, freedom is a burden submit you know and just live my way you won't have to think for yourself like not in that way it's not like no. a, it's not in like this passive you know way it's like really yeah. it, there's something i think de- and this is why if this is the first episode you're listening to this is why we've we've approached the season in the way we have we've talked about creation and we've talked about jesus's ministry and we've talked about you know kafali and what the word head means because we, we really believe that we're designed to be this way and when we operate in accordance to God's design, our soul experiences this kind of level of, of flourishing or freedom or, or satisfaction that it just doesn't when we're railing against God's, God's design. And so there's yeah. something Amen. really kind of deep and profound that happens there, I think, that as we operate in submission, we, we operate within God's design and, and our, souls, our souls do well. Thanks for giving us the grace as we talk about submission from the word God's design rather than sinful distortions. I'm excited to get into it. Yeah, I think it's important for us to really break down like what this means, because like we were saying earlier, like we I think especially in our family of churches, we don't really talk about this all that much. Like it's not it's not something we really teach on. And so I think we have these almost unspoken rules, but nobody knows really what that looks like. And then there's a lot of confusion that comes from that. And so I'm excited to really just talk about what does this really mean? Yeah. Well, I think let's, let's get into Ephesians five. I think let's talk about absolutely submission, but also let's talk a little bit about headship and what does it mean that the husband is the head of the wife is Christ is the head of the church. Because in our last episode, we, we didn't do so much of that really just talked about what does the word head mean? Because that there's mm-hmm. just a massive uh, history and debate around that. We uh, ultimately our conclusion is that we have every reason to believe that it means a position of authority or leadership, yeah. and and very little, if any, reason to believe it means anything else um, in the context of this of this particular passage. So so let's talk a little bit about what what exactly male headship is, because I don't think headship and leadership yes. are a one to one, right? Like I don't think that women yeah. can't can't be. I, I'm not. I'm not. I don't think women can lead. Right, I don't think headship and leadership are a one to one. So let's talk about what male headship is and isn't, um, and, and let's also talk about submission. Ephesians chapter five, and I'm, I'm going to read verse twenty through um, thirty-three, um, if that's okay. Go Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her uh, by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let one of uh, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Broadly speaking, I feel like a lot of negative attention is given towards verses twenty two and twenty three, talking about wives submit, uh, husband yeah. is head of the wife, and, and I think 
look, I think I want to talk about that, but I, but I think as much as we talk about that, we, I think we really need to talk about and enforce or reinforce and, and reiterate and love the, the second portion of what I just read, which is the husband's job, which is, which to, is like primarily what Paul addresses. Like there's like two verses towards women and then the rest is like, right. Amen. Absolutely. Right. So I think we can get really hung up on those two and miss the, I would, I would submit what maybe is the greater charge, which is to the husband to, to, to die for his wife, right? Twice as many verses for the husband. Uh, So I think we need to, we need to spend a lot of time teaching husbands. (laughs) Yeah, man. Like it's so easy to throw, Oh, you know, uh, submit, but it's like, dude, what are you doing to die for for your wife? (laughs) So, you know, we need, we need to talk a lot about that. I included verse 20 and 21. Now, typically they're, they're included before paragraph, paragraph break. Um, now, of course, we know that, that in, in the Bible, in the Greek, there are no paragraphs. There's no verses. Translators later on would, would separate into paragraphs and verses. Um, but but I think it's worth linking these two together because I think, first, there's usually a lot of criticism when, when we read starting in verse 22 and we don't acknowledge the previous verses um, but i think there's there's huge movement right now towards when i say right now i mean like the last 20 years towards like mutual submission um and and i don't necessarily disagree with mutual submission i i, I certainly see i certainly see how these topics can can bridge together um i i see i think i won't we won't get well, i don't think we're going to get into this today but i think certainly in the greek i see how those two verses are meant to link together um and inform one another so yeah i don't i don't reject verse 20 and 21 at all in terms of informing 22 through 33 i i think there's i think it certainly can be linked together so i'm not afraid of that i think it's true but but i also believe in distinct submission right so I think Paul does call us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I think when he says that, it's consistent to to believe that he's saying that to the general body of believers. That that we we are all there's we all need to submit to one another. There's several other scriptures mm-hmm. talking about how we lay our life down for one another, we die for one another, we love each other the way Jesus loved us. Uh, we give a special affection to the body of believers. Like that's certainly a reinforceable idea. And then he it seems that he zooms in particularly on the relationship between husband and wife. Now, now I, I believe I see mutual submission happening here, but, but I really, I think Paul is making it clear how he qualifies that mutual submission. And I think in that qualification of the mutual, mutual submission, we find a distinct submission mm-hmm. in that he calls the husband or the, he calls the wife to submit as if submitting to the Lord. And yeah. as, and as Christ loved the church, that's the submission Paul's calling the, the the wife to, and it would seem that the the submission Paul is calling the husband to is the Christ modeled sacrificial servant leadership as the head of the wife. Yeah. So, so I believe there is submission in those acts. I do see a mutual submission, but I see it's very distinct and qualified, and that the wife is called yeah. to love is the wife is called to submit as if the church submits to Christ and the husband is called to love his wife, wife as Christ loved the church. So, so I, I believe in mutual submission. I think it's inconsistent to say there's mutual submission, but then uh, ignore the very distinct yeah. forms of submission that are being called. Yeah. It's a flow from verse 21, right? Of all to submit to one another, but then to certain family members, authorities, it, it gets into the specifics. I, I just insert myself for submission. I know the Bible would call me to, submit to elders in the church, young men just simply submit to older men in the church, to submit to those who are serving the Lord's people, the Bible calls us to submit to, et cetera, et cetera. The Bible yeah. keeps bringing that word up, submit. Yeah, I think it starts off, like you guys were saying, with the mutual submission, and then it goes into the distinct submissions because it starts entering into um, household cult codes i want to say cold sorry <laughs> like i'm gonna enter an l sorry household codes nailed it there <laughs> for, we go for the family um and because you know we ended here we're just talking about wives and 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 husbands but it continues on about children and it goes on so it's it's kind of like household codes and how we're supposed to interact with each other within the home and the family and there is distinct distinctions there i'd love to talk a little bit about 
headship, right? Yes. Um, according to verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body and his, and is himself its savior. I, I think it'd be great to talk a little bit about um, what headship is and what it isn't. Cause like I said, I don't think it's a one-to-one to leadership. Let's all define it real quick. Um, according to verse 23, for husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. So yeah, let's, let's talk about headship. I, I think I want, I want to first start off by, by saying that I, I don't think headship and leadership are, are, are equal concepts. I, I think it's certainly a biblical idea that there were women that had influence. Yep. And it's certainly a biblical idea. Yeah, Daniel said it's not a not a direct synonym. I agree with that. I would say um leadership, authority are, are poor synonyms for headship, and yet headship encompasses both of those things, leadership and authority, which we see terrible distortions of in yeah, the world. Sure. But when we look at Christ in the scriptures, because Ephesians five, you know, as Christ is the head of the church. You can really define headship as his servant leadership, whereas in the world it's domineering, right? Yeah. In in the Bible, it's treating each other as joint heirs. Yes, that's. I think that's a really good way to put it. And I think it's also worth noting the what seems to be the context of this instruction. Like in this passage, Paul does does not seem to be talking about every man is the is is has some inherent headship over all women he is talking specifically of the marriage relationship um and now now we can get back to some of those ideas how, how does this play out like in the church um in the world and in the world right because you know I, I don't think it's any sort of bad thing to have like a woman as a boss at a job right like so we can we can yeah. get some of those ideas that, that that's a whole other episode though right now we just let's just focus in on what this scripture is talking about which is talking about the, the marriage relationship. I'll share on my marriage really quickly with uh, just headship in my marriage and, and try not to touch on the church. But when, when I look at Christ, I know that headship is meant to equip and empower and not weaken, as I think Christ would empower and not weaken. I know I'm going to struggle, though, reflecting the image of God in that headship the same way my wife's going to struggle, struggle reflecting the image of God being a strong help for me headship is if i'm going to empower if i'm going to equip as christ would then it means a lot of listening in my marriage it means a lot of not being a boss but really soliciting my wife's opinion her voice on on almost every decision in our our partnership and, and then really my my wife likes to to voice and empower me by saying but hey you you have the ultimate decision and responsibility in this. And she wants to be my strong help in that. So I, I'm thankful for my wife wanting to support my headship in that way. Joey, that's really good. I think it's it's important to show the partnership and that you are really considering Madison. Like Madison has such a huge influence. Her opinions yeah. matter to you and they can really direct like what what you guys do like she is not inferior she is not like you need madison and you want to go to her and and take in what she has to do or what she has to how she feels about things what she thinks about things and you guys together wrestle with these things and and take care of your home and your children and your your finances or whatever it goes into but i think For me, I think one of the things that is really important in so much of what this is getting into is just the spiritual health of the family. Um, It is the Mm -hmm. husband's primary primary responsibility to make sure that his home, you know, is spiritual, is going in the right direction, even when things are falling apart or bad things are happening. There's that temptation just to want to like give up or fall apart. It is his primary responsibility to pull it together and say, we can do this. We're in this together. We're going to serve the Lord. It's very much like Joshua. Like they conquered that land and people were going crazy. And he's like, I don't know what y'all are going to do. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Like that is spiritual headship. And it is his primary. That's what that all is. Like making sure that she's blameless and holy before the Lord. It's, It's making sure that house is working and chugging along in a spiritual direction and that that it is yeah not falling apart or being spiritually lazy or yeah. going in a weird direction yeah. 
it's not the distortions. Yeah. yeah. The yeah. Joshua example, the Jesus example, it's a, a godly headship that convicts and inspires rather than a, a worldly authority that might condemn or humiliate. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah I, so I think if we're just going to give a really, just real quick, give a, let's give a definition for what we mean by headship. I think we would mean that headship has the responsibility to set the spiritual climate of the home. Yes. Um, and that, it's certainly in this passage, it's talking about, about the home. Like I said, we'll get, we'll get to how does this play out like in the church and the scope of the church later. That's a different episode, but certainly here, you know, male headship in the home means the responsibility to set the spiritual climate of that home. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And primary, uh, all that's meant by primary is order, uh, priority to me. It, it's not to say that the wife has no responsibility to set that climate but it's to give the husband that headship is primary. I mean, the first scripture that comes to my mind is, is obvious, you know, it's Matthew 20. Jesus makes his philosophy on authority and leadership, I think, very clear. Um, I'm, I'm going to pick it up, Matthew, yeah. Matthew chapter 20. Um, I'll just go ahead and start about verse 24. In verse 24, it says, When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, now this is where where I think it gets really interesting, um, because yes, Jesus has... Um, all power and all authority to command, to point, to make us do whatever we want, mm-hmm. but rather his 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 way of of working that out is with with the philosophy of I, I didn't come to be served but to serve, and so man, I think yes. that should be the guiding philosophy for for male headship is not to expect any sort of service, but to expect to be the one to serve. That's, I I think, should be a guiding philosophy for for male headship. And it literally shows them with washing their feet right right after that. I just think, too, this is so controversial. Like, this idea of male headship and loving your wife and dying for her. And you know what I mean? Like, that was unheard of in the first century, whatever culture you're in. (laughs) Like, that was not the idea of this, like, I have to love my wife. like sleeping around was totally acceptable and okay. You know what I mean? Like there was just so many, like, Oh, you don't please me. I can divorce you. That's what Jesus is talking about with divorce. It's really to like protect women so that men wouldn't just like, you're not pretty enough anymore. I don't want to be married to you. Or this, so this idea of loving your wife is so controversial and um, just different from anything else being practiced at this time. And I just, I love that Jesus changes everything and, and takes it from this idea of authority and a worldly sense to really like true serve, like leadership, true headship is to die to yourself and to love your wife. Like, I, I just, I love it. I see in Christ, you know, first Peter, authorities and powers are submitted to Christ. Or even Ephesians 1, context to this book, God has submitted all things to Christ as head yes. of the church. And yet, Luke 2.51, Jesus submits himself to his parents when he's mm-hmm. in their household. Yes. Crazy. Yeah. yeah crazy. So, so I think certainly these principles can be translated into several aspects of leadership in the world, in the church. Um, but, but I think it's worth draw, drawing the, the, the comparison here that the husband is charged to be like Christ in the relationship. I mean, that's the husband's unique responsibility in the relationship is to model and exemplify this. The wife was not called to, to, to give her life to the husband as, as Christ did. The, the husband is called mm-hmm. to do that. And that, it's really important to keep these, like Paul is distinct here. It's like, yeah, there's kind of these universal principles. Sure, these things can transition. Everybody love everybody. Everybody give your life to serve. Yeah, but in in the context of marriage, there is a unique like command. It's like, sure. So I think, sure, you could say, look, 
wife, shouldn't you follow Christ's example and, and be self-sacrificial lover? Yes. Right. Yeah, yes. absolutely. But but in the in the dynamic of the marriage, Paul's being pretty clear that the husband has a unique responsibility to, to be that, to be the example well, of that it, headship. It goes back to even just what we were talking about in Genesis, where, you know, we can see that there are these distinct responsibilities and that like God addresses Adam, right? When Eve eats the apple, like he's like, Adam, like what happened? You know, he doesn't address Eve first. Like there's that primary responsibility. And so, you know, it's important for us to understand these things because there is still that primary responsibility and there will be, um, you know, God's going to come to the husbands and be like, hey, where were you when it was going down like this? Like there is um, a pressure that God does put on and an expectation that God puts on husbands to really lead their their family spiritually. Yeah. And I want to I want to talk about that just real quick, because I, I know an argument I've heard is, well, hey, when we've embraced you know, egalitarianism, or we embrace mutual submission, the husbands are just so relieved. They're just like, oh, thank you, because now we don't have this responsibility. Man, I, I just, I think it's really hard to qualify the validity of a practice of life because it makes you feel better because you have less responsibility. You, yeah. Does that follow? Like, that would be the same mm-hmm. thing as me saying, well, man, you know, where I'm going to permit this sin because I just felt so much pressure when I when I had to submit to God and, and resist this sin, and I just feel so much more free now. There's I just feel better. Like it just doesn't track, right? So just yeah. because someone feels just because a husband yeah. feels better because they don't have this primary responsibility, doesn't mean it's right. <laughs> doesn't yeah. mean Same it's as right. A wife shouldn't feel better to just say everything is on the husband. You do it all. Um, and give undue pressure to the husband, yeah. yeah, you know, to abdicate her own responsibilities. So extreme on either end there. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, oh, yeah, that's, definitely. Um, in Matthew 26, verse 36, it says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane and said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Um, Couldn't you men keep watching me for one hour? He asked Peter. um, And then he goes back, and I'll I'll skip to verse 42. He went away a second time and, and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Um. And so in the, in the garden, wow. Jesus is having this really powerful, amazing, and uh, vulnerable dialogue with God in prayer. And, and, and what I think we, we skip over here and it's so massive to point out is that Jesus wants a way out. He's like, I, I want a way. If there's a way out of the cross, God, let's help me take the way out. Which right, this is amazing, an amazingly powerful section. It's yes, there's you could yes, do so yes, many yes. things in this passage. It's one it was one of the passages that really softened my heart when I was studying the Bible as an atheist. Um but ultimately for the point of what we're talking about today, when when I why I go to this when thinking about male headship is is I when we when we think about the idea of love in our relationships, it's really easy to think of love as this emotional, uncontrollable, random, overwhelming feeling. But the reality of biblical love, the agape love, is that it's choice and that yeah. it's not based inherently yes. on emotion and it's self-sacrificial. And so when when the husband is called to love the wife, which is really interesting because going back to Ephesians 5, the husband is called to love the wife Whereas the wife is called to respect the husband, the husband has this call to agape, the wife to give himself up. And and I think this is a very good example of how Jesus displays that. Though he is emotionally being pulled in one direction, he's crying, he's scared, he's sorrowful. He says his soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of the death. He makes, he submits to God and he says, but not as I, not as I will, but as he will. He chooses to obey God and to give his life for us because he loves us. He agapes us. It's, it's not yeah. so trivial as, as a fleeting emotional experience, but he truly 
loves and agapes. And so this is the second scripture I would point to for a barometer on male headship. The first one being Matthew 20, in which I would yes. say, you don't seek to be served, but you seek to serve. I would look at this one and say, is you seek in, in the context of dying for yourself the way Jesus died, you seek to to yeah. not just be guided by emotions, but you seek to give your life in accordance to obeying God. That's the why to plug back into Ephesians 5. You know, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Mad reverence, mad respect really for the good. scripture yeah. you just shared. Really and then goes further, you, wives are supposed to submit and respect their husbands voluntarily. It doesn't say husbands are to make them do this. So why voluntarily do that? Well, Paul gives the simple reason, because the husband is the head of the wife, like Christ. Christ-like, like Christ is the head of the church. Mad respect, but you got to be Christ-like. Yes. Yep. Yes. Male headship is Christ-like. Okay, so going back to Ephesians 5, let's talk a little bit more about um, submission. The word for submission is hupatasso. So hupatasso is a verb. And it is a primarily a military term um, that means to rank under, which would be hupo, you know, under, and then tasso to arrange. And it means to put into subjection or to be subject. So it's a Greek military yeah. word meaning to arrange like troop divisions in a military fashion under the command of a leader. In non-military use, it was a voluntary attitude of giving in cooperating, assuming responsibility, and carrying a burden. And wow. so here you see the male headship, which is this primary role of like spiritual health for the family. And then the wife being submissive, which is that voluntary attitude of cooperating and helping him live out that responsibility, right? helping carrying the burden of making sure the house is running in a spiritual fashion. And so again, it goes kind of back to what we were talking about in Genesis in that episode about what it means to be a help meet, a powerful help that a help meet comes alongside again, also used a lot of times in this idea of military, like nations coming along to help whatever nation needs help in war coming alongside in the battle with them or God coming alongside um, different people in the Bible, like different men and women in the scriptures to help them in their task. So again, that, that idea of woman coming alongside man to help him carry out that task. Um, I think probably the best example, and I have to totally shout out to Elise Sanderson, my girl, because she and I were talking about this, and she's like, the best example of submission that I can think of is Samwise from Lord of the Rings. And I was like, I'm stealing that and using that forever, because it really is like the best example. But Same. we know, like, you know, the ending, right? Where like Frodo's like not able to finish out. Like he's like, he's done. And Sam Wise knows, like, he can't take the ring. Like, he can't take that responsibility from Frodo and then go up the mountain himself. So he's like, look, yeah. I know that you can't, I can't take the ring, but I can carry you. And Sam Wise, like, picks him up and carries him up to the mountain and helps Frodo to, like, finish that task, that responsibility. He's not able to take on that responsibility. Frodo has that, but Sam Wise is that powerful help that comes alongside him to get that job done and to make mm -hmm. the task complete. And if Sam Wise wasn't there, Frodo would have just died and then the whole world would have been gone, right? Like but yeah. Sam Wise is My wife so is my Sam nobody, Wise. Nobody looks at Sam Wise as like, "Oh, you're weak or you're subjected or you're inferior or you're oppressed." Like, you know what I mean? Like that yeah. Sam Wise is dope. He's honestly the best character. I love him. Um, but I just, I love that scene. It's emotional. You cry every time you watch it. It's such a powerful scene, but I think it's this great example yeah. of somebody having a primary responsibility and somebody being that submissive help, right? That person who right? That Azer or whatever yeah, comes alongside and helps finish that task in a really powerful way. I love that yeah. because when you say who 
military term, I think, mm-hmm. all right, rank, order, which it is a divine order, but yeah. I think here's the marching orders fall in line. But then you say Samwise and I go, oh, okay, so that's not, you know, marching orders fall in line, bottom of a hierarchy, mm-hmm. you know, where Frodo's his boss. That's a beautiful sure. image. Yeah, that'll, that'll really hit with the Lord of the Rings fans out there. <laughs> I, I think one one more note I want to make in the marriage relationship, we have this, it, the way Paul's describing it here, we have this beautiful illustration, this beautiful, tangible, visual illustration of the gospel, the, the relationship between Jesus and the church. In that, and I think if we if we look at this if we start to interpret this scripture in a different way that that image is is torn down which i i think i think can be tragic right and, and so what i mean by that is in our marriage like our marriages aren't meant just for us like they're not meant just to make us happy to make us feel fulfilled but according to this passage they're meant to display the gospel to the world and yeah. that, and that, in the husband, we have a tangible example of what it looks like to give your life for somebody you love, your wife, and that in response to that love, in the same way we respond to Jesus's love for us in the gospel, um, the same way we respond to that love, the the wife responds to that love and, and displays that submission to the husband in the way that we respond to Christ's love, in the way I in my life have responded to Christ's love by submitting myself to Him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. And then we see it right in response, like, and it's all in response to the love, and right, and, and and so I think that's a beautiful illustration of the gospel that Paul is painting here. Is like, look, this is this is the marriage. It's the gospel. It's a it's an illustration of what God is God is doing for all humanity, and and I think. Yeah it's really important that in our marriage we hold that illustration up like that's that's almost like one of the the, the goal of marriage is to illustrate the gospel yeah. it's not just for us but to glorify god right so yes, i think that's, I that's pretty that. important well i think let's move into the this is being pulled from <laughs> discovering biblical equality it's that book we've mentioned before uh, published in 2005 it is a um a, a collection of writings by several different authors edited by by some prominent voices in the egalitarian movement like uh, Ron Pierce and Gordon Fee and uh, one other that I'm blanking on right now. Now, the different portions of this book are written by several other people. And so I, I want to make it very clear that when we quote people or pull from their arguments or summarize their arguments, our goal is I've got no beef with these people. <laughs> like I'm not yeah. trying to like tear them down or whatever. I, we, you know, I just want to present how the other, how, how other people argue this. And I don't want to, you know, I want to be able to present an accurate depiction of that. That's, that's my goal when, when polling and quoting people, I'll say this, if, if you all want to read the, read that book's position on this, it's, it's available on Google scholar. You don't even need to buy the book. Just, um, just look it up on Google Scholar and you can find this. I, I believe this portion of the book starts on like page 197, something like that. You can just Google in the, ser- in the search bar for that book and you'll find this this portion. Yeah. But essentially, some of the ar- other arguments that are made here is that the context Paul was writing in was, was patriarchal. And so it makes sense for, for him to call wives to submit because in that context, they should be called to submit. Now, Now, in doing that, that the argument of that book is that Paul would be shattering the the cultural norms of patriarchy by calling men, men to submit. And so like, here's the thing. It's like, I wouldn't necessarily disagree with that entire argument. Like I do think in, in putting forth this model of headship, I think Paul is trying to transform how leadership looks and how male leadership looks. Like I, I do think he is protecting women. I do think he is trying to set up a right model. I just don't think he's totally abolishing a way of life. I think he's trying to transform it. I, I think he's trying to to redeem it. Not, so I think yeah. I, I think in this, right, so, so the argument basically is that it was a cultural thing, right, which we want to get to in a later episode. So, and we've mentioned this briefly, kind of, we've touched on this briefly in some other episodes. Basically, we don't believe gender roles are cultural. Um, we think they are ontological. We, we think they are by design. Here's another topic that's worth talking about. Uh, the writer in this portion of the book, real briefly, this this quote says, um, in regards to the topic of of male headship, because this author would affirm that Paul is calling women to submit, but he's saying that that's 
cultural and not ontological. He would then go on to say, we must go beyond the letter of the scripture when the trajectory of scriptural teaching takes us farther than what the scripture explicitly says. It requires us to recognize that some culturally specific scriptural teachings and commands are no longer mandatory. So the argument is founded on that this is a cultural teaching and that there's a different trajectory. First, we talked we already talked about how we reject the trajectory hermeneutic, um, but also we just don't believe this is a cultural thing. Um, we believe some yeah. negative as- aspects of it were certainly cultural, but we don't think generals are cultural. We believe they're ontological, but that that's again a whole other episode. But I just wanted I just wanted to address that that's kind of typically how this scripture could be looked at in a different way. And those are a couple of reasons why um, um, we disagree. That's one of the arguments, right? People try to say like, oh, Paul was living in a patriarchal society. And so, of course, he's writing these things and they're no different from how people were living at that time. They're just like the same codes. And I would disagree with that. And I have some codes I'd like to read that were written during the similar time. I have um, a Greek quote from Aristotle, like household codes. What is a household code too? Yeah, a household code or the Hostafel is basically, um, which is actually a German word, but it's a, it means um, table or code term coined by Martin Luther. And it refers to a summary table of specific actions members of each domestic pair in a household are expected to perform. So a lot of times you'll see domestic pairs, you'll see husband and wife, parent and child, very much like this. Um, And so Paul and Peter both kind of have these household codes that they kind of write out like this is how husband and wife should interact male or child and um parent and then even later on which we could totally talk about later on when we get into i think cultural versus um what is timeless slave and master so when we say the words household codes this is what we're talking about this idea of a set of like codes or rules for how people are supposed to behave in a certain situation. And specifically, we're talking about a domestic setting of the house. And so the first one I have is a Greek hostophel by Aristotle. And it says, and now that it is clear, what are the component parts of the state? We have first of all to discuss household management for every state is composed of households. Household management falls into the departments corresponding to the parts of which the household in its turn is composed. Master and slave, husband and wife, father and children. This is written written like in the 4th century um, BC. And so you see here, there's like domestic pairs and they're actually identical to Paul's writings, right? Husband and wife, male or parent and child and um, slave master. But what's different is that Aristotle starts with the state. So his whole primary concern is civil society. Where Paul's concern was the spiritual kingdom that is manifested on earth through the church. So there's a difference there. Paul can care less about the state. It's more about how do we glorify God and God's kingdom in the church. And then you have a Jewish hostafal which is Philo. And his quote is, the women are best suited to the indoor life, which never strays from the house. Just let that sink in. Women should never stray from the house. (laughs) Organized communities are of two sorts, the greater, which we call cities, and the smaller, which we call households. Both of these have their governors. The government of the greater is assigned to men under the name of statemanship, and that of the lesser, known as household management, to women. A woman then should not be a busybody, meddling with matters outside of household concerns, but she should seek a life of seclusion. This is literally written at the same time Paul would be writing. This is first century AD. That quote makes me struggle, right? (laughs) So once again, we see um, Philo having this emphasis on civil society in the state. But there are really very few similarities to like what Paul is saying here. Nowhere in the New Testament or any of Paul's writing or in this scripture or Peter's writing does it say that women should seek a life of seclusion. Um, And we do see this other places in works of antiquity, but never in the scriptures. So here's an example of um, a Greek household cult. This is Plutarch. 
It says a virtual, virtuous woman ought to be the most visible in her husband's company and to stay in the house and hide herself when he is away. Also, first century AD, again, women <laughs> are secluded to the home. They have no rights. They, they don't meddle in anything. They, they, they stick to their husbands and then they stick to their home. Okay, so the Christian picture is so different. Yeah, guys. we're seeing like, something very different. Yeah. Very different. Like Jesus taught women and Jesus called women to follow him. Jesus allowed women to sit at his feet. Like he's just starting to break all these, these cultural norms. It was not women stay in your house. It was like, women, come follow me. Women, share your faith. Women, you're a deacon. Like you see women not being um, stuck to the home. This was written in the third century. And this is written by um, Tertullian. And this is a letter he wrote to his wife. This is him talking to his wife about marrying a Christian and why. So he's, he's basically saying, if I die, this is what I want you to do. I want you to marry a Christian man because, so now I'm going to read the quote. For who would suffer his wife for the sake of visiting the brethren to go round from the street to street to other men's and indeed to all the poorer cottages? who will willingly bear her being taken from his side by nocturnal convocations, if need so be, who finally will without anxiety endure her absence all the night long at the partial solemnities, who will without some suspicion of his own dismiss her to attend that Lord's supper, which they defame, who will suffer her to creep into the prison to kiss the martyr's bonds, Nay, truly, to meet any one of the brethren to exchange the kiss, to offer water for the saint's feet, to snatch somewhat for them from her food, from her cup, to yearn after them, to have them in her mind. This is a writ letter written um, to Tertullian's wife, 3rd century AD. And it's basically talking about how women play a very active role. They go to the prisons and serve the martyrs. They... they partake in the Lord's suffer. They, they serve the poor. They do all these things. They go out in the night. Like it's, it's scandalous for what would have been happening during, um, this time in Greece or Rome or any of these Greco-Roman areas or even in Jewish culture. So this is super important to see the differences. Like Christian wives are not shut-ins like Paul, um, Peter, these men, they did not have the same type of household codes that um, the Greeks, the Romans, the Jewish um, cultures did at this time. There's very different. Women had rights. Women had purpose. Women were not subject to the house. They were very active in serving God's kingdom. And here's just one more. I'm going to do one more. Roman Hostafel. This is Dionysus. Both the married women, as having no other refuge to conform themselves entirely to temper of their husbands, and the husbands to rule their wives as necessary and inseparable possessions. Accordingly, if a wife was virtuous and in all things obedient to her husband, she was mistress to the same degree as her husband was the master of it. This is also first century. The, I just feel like the differences are really stark. Um, I think it's really unfair to try and lump Paul and Peter into the same like household codes that we see written during similar time periods in Greece and in Rome and even in Jewish cultures. I feel like there's stark differences. Like there, there isn't this demeaning of women in these codes. There isn't women being a possession or stuck to the house or having no rights um, in yeah. fact, the opposite women are to serve women play a powerful role in help serving God's yeah, kingdom. Yeah, right on. Yep. That's so good. Uh, Amanda, thanks for those quotes. That was awesome. You know, I think it's worth just kind of summarizing here the, the, yeah, we, we see a, we see an instruction for, for male headship. We, we, and we, we, we try to define that a little bit. We also see the, the call for, um, wives submitting to husbands. And we talked about, what kind of submission that means and why like our 
value the, I think the value of submission and why it's it's not the bad word that 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 a lot that a lot of us can respond to it being. And I think also, Amanda, that's a really good uh, juxtaposition to show just what Paul really was doing here. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, the yeah, there's, there's some amazing stuff happening. I, I think at the end of the day, where where the disagreement is going to end up being is that on, on maybe on the other end of the belief spectrum, people are going to look at these scriptures and view them as uh, cultural. And and like certainly we believe there's things in the Bible that are cultural. But we, yeah. how, how do we discern what is what? Uh, spoiler alert, we, we don't believe gender roles are cultural. We, we believe it's by design and ontological. Um, but that, yeah. that is what we do want to get to, um, a, you know, a little bit later on. But but I think that that about wraps it up for for this episode on on uh, headship and submission. Hopefully we were able to um, discuss some of these things, the fault of some of these things, but but maybe how the Bible calls us to to live it out and why they're really good and beautiful things and part of and part of God's design. Um, so thanks so much for uh, for listening to another episode, um, and we'll catch y'all next time. Man, thank you guys. Thank you guys so much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really supports our reach, as well as follow us on Instagram at Talus Theology.